Hello and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Emery, and this is Hear Her Sports, where we talk to incredible women in sports. Thank you for tuning in. Well, probably like you, I spent many weeks this summer watching the U.S. women's soccer team play in the World Cup and felt such incredible awe at their ability to get the job done. I was struck by how prepared they seemed. There's something about being that prepared that gives you confidence of knowing you've done everything possible up until that important moment. Well, today's guest has much to do with that preparation. U.S. soccer's high-performance coach, Dawn Scott, has been involved with the women's team for nine years, and as you will hear, gets into daily details from hydration to individual player load, each training session and game. I was particularly interested in talking to Dawn about how she incorporated the science behind menstrual cycles into the U.S. women's soccer team's training. I highly recommend the Fit Our Woman app Dawn talks about in the episode. With Fit Our Woman, you can track your cycle, learn more about the four phases of the menstrual cycle, and about what the impact each of those phases has on performance. I've always struggled with PMS myself, so the app has been a really great way to take advantage of the strong moments in the month rather than simply be frustrated with the lows. Dawn also talks about her work with the women's soccer team, strength training, and what's next for the players. You will immediately hear how excited I am to talk to Don. I wasted no time and got right into the thick of things, so let's get to it. Well, welcome, Don. It is really an absolute thrill to have you here, so thank you. I feel incredibly lucky that you're here. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to be on. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm always uh, happy to talk about kind of the things that we do, and uh, yeah, it's always nice that there's interest in in the areas, if, if you like, kind of behind the scenes with the U.S. team, so thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'll have to admit that I've struggled in a way that I haven't in the past to come up with questions to ask you, because really, I want to know absolutely everything. I mean, what you're doing and the breadth of how you're involved with the athletes is really something else. Well, thank you very much. Um, okay, that could be an interesting, <laughs> interesting journey over the next 40 minutes. Or exactly. We don't have time for that. So I did come up with questions. Okay. What are your days like? And I also suppose, you know, like, how do your weeks differ throughout the year? So how are you planning the year? What are your days like? How are you interacting with the athletes? Sure. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's a big question straight away. Um, I mean, a typical day, I guess there's, there's, there isn't a typical day is probably the, the first response because my day varies whether I'm in camp and also even the nature of that camp. Like, you know, sometimes we'll have a training camp and there might be some testing or monitoring going on. Other times where in a in a camp, like say a She Believes tournament or the Tournament of Nations where we've got a lot of games in quick succession. So again, kind of the aim of that camp is very different to a training camp. And then obviously you've also got, you know, kind of major tournaments. So like a World Cup Olympics where again, you know, it is all about performance and recovery of the players. So I guess I'm involved in anything that affects the physical well-being, physical performance of the the women's national team players. So a typical day in camp, I guess I'm I'm kind of starting my day by making recovery shakes for the players for post-training. So I tend to try and get that done before breakfast. And then around breakfast, our players fill in a online kind of wellness app. So basically, I'm usually chasing some of the, the stragglers, if you like, who we have a rule that you have to fill it in by the end of breakfast so that if we need to modify any part of training for any individual player, we can do that with the coaches and the medical staff. So I'm usually chasing players kind of during or, or by the end of breakfast. If a player's checked in with, say, muscle soreness or they also do a pee test and measure their hydration. So if a player checks in and their hydration they're, they're kind of dehydrated, then I'll also just text or go find that player and 
if it's kind of a sonnet issue, hey, what's going on? Is it is it something specific? Is it just general? Do we need to modify training for you? If it's a hydration, then I would usually follow them around with some kind of rehydration fluid to make sure they're hydrated ahead of training. Once I've kind of got all of the wellness information, if something flags up medically, I would speak to our head athletics trainer, Steve Stricker, and, you know, combine see is it something he's aware of if it's a player who's returned to play protocol do we need to modify what they're doing so it's kind of discussions with him around anything that flags up equally i'm now usually in a van on the way to practice so i would then also update the head coaches and and if i need to have a conversation with you know the, the coaches around we either need to modify for the whole group if everybody's flagging something up or if there's an individual player we might need to modify part of the training for that player and then you're in a van, you're at training. I usually get there probably an hour before the team and kind of set up. Um, we use live GPS systems, so I'd usually set that up, set out anything nutritionally that players might need before practice, and then set up the warm-up area. And then I'm usually, usually the goalkeepers are out there training early. So during the World Cup, I had a guy helping me. So he would tend to warm up the goalkeepers, and then I would literally just wait for the, the team to arrive once team arrives, make sure they get their GPS on, get their heart rates on, take them through the movement preparation, take them through the warm-up, and then after the warm-up, kind of monitoring the session live through iPad and the GPS system we have. I'd also time the session, so I'd literally be on Jill Ellis's kind of shoulder the whole time, and you know, for specific times for, for different parts of the drill, would kind of time those, and then it would be moving on to the next piece. Again, if we're monitoring individual players, or if there's a player in return to play protocol, and we want to see kind of what, what numbers they're hitting, or are they hitting exactly what uh, Steve and I have, have projected, then you know, kind of overseeing that as well. Once training's finished, usher the players into some kind of recovery, whether it's pool, ice tubs, and then we go into lunch. And then if it's free afternoon, kind of a, a bit of free time to, to work on the, the report from training and then feed that back to the coaches. If it's a double day, we might be out training again or we might have a, a strength session, a lift session that afternoon. So again, we'll be getting set up for that. And then kind of the last thing, end of the day, is, is always have a medical meeting with Steve and the medical team. And we just discuss every single player. And also kind of during that evening, I would have met with the coaches to plan out practice for the next day. So again, going into that medical meeting, I would know what the, the plan is for practice. And then we can talk about if any individual player needs to be modified. And then we usually finish our day at, at 10, 30, 11 at night. And then it starts all again the next day, <laughs> kind of that same process. Right. So it's kind of continual communication, using data sets as feedback, using the players, you know, for me, like I've spoken about the data and the feedback of the players, but, you know, the visual with the players, the verbal interaction. I always remember Martin Boucher, who's the head of performance at PSG in, in France. He kind of said part of his wellness monitoring is literally saying good morning to a player and how they respond is, you know, kind of how their wellness is. Oh, that's um, so again, for me, you should never... Yeah, you should never discount the the visual and verbal interaction of your players as well. Mm -hmm. It's not all just about numbers and data. You know, when I was getting ready to talk to you, I was really struck by, again, how detailed and how involved you are with the athletes. Is this really typical of a lot of high-level sports, or is, is your team very different? I don't know if you I mean, know I that. I think <laughs> the role is a, yeah, I mean, kind of my background, I'm, I'm obviously from the UK, so I'm sports science trained, and that's kind of how we were trained in terms of like the education piece and then implementing it in sports. So 
so I think yes, but I think what you've also seen of also, <laughs> I've now been kind of working at the elite level for, for over 20 years. So I guess there's been a lot of, or there has been a lot of kind of involvement in the area. So whereas kind of 20 years ago, there was only one sports scientist, say, working with teams at, at the elite level. Now you tend to have specialists in certain areas. So you might have a person who just looks at the GPS, the external load data. You might have somebody who just focuses on recovery. You might have somebody who just does the strength work and the lifting. Whereas my kind of background and trainer was you kind of did it all. So I think yes and no. I think now some systems have more staff who complement each other with their skill sets um, and then they have more hands to do that stuff. But then some sports, yeah, they do, you know, some of it down to funding availability, you know, funding in the program and so on. Um, but some sports do just have one person who oversees kind of all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I learned about you after the World Cup when so many articles were written about how you've incorporated the players' menstrual cycles into training and also the work that you've been doing yeah. with the research at Fit Our Woman. And, you know, so that we don't skip on some of the basics, can you talk about how you got interested in this area and also what made you think that tracking menstrual cycles could have an impact on performance? Yeah, I mean, again, through my training, like part of my training was was physiology, going through uh, menstrual cycles myself and, you know, some of the, the symptoms and how you felt and so on. I was always fully aware, you know, of the menstrual cycle and some of the symptoms players might have. Again, from research, it's it's very mixed. Some of it alludes to injuries at certain phases, but again, I don't think I don't think there's anything that has been done on a on a big data set that really proves or disproves. Because again, you know, you you do need to be then also taking you know hormone measures, levels, and, and things like that as well. So, and also doing some kind of intervention. So, I think there's a couple of things. I think it's hard to get research studies because you need a big data set of injuries or kind of cohort of players to kind of prove disprove and some of it potentially could be quite invasive so I don't think there's a big bulk of of research out there right now but some of it does you know kind of more recent suggest that some of the signs and symptoms could be alleviated through training through diet through recovery so again like I said I've always had an awareness and three four years ago we started just tracking through our wellness platform, just the start date of a player's menstrual cycle, so the period phase. So basically players would just put in the first day of their period and then through the wellness app it would just let you know kind of the days one, two, three, and then after that you wouldn't get any information until again day one of their next cycle. But again, some of that was dependent on the player being compliant input that date. So again, you might look at historical data and a player might have two or three missed cycles and you know without speaking to the player you're not sure if that was compliance or if that was kind of amenorrhea or or missed cycles or so on and then what we started noticing was around day one of the cycle suddenly kind of fatigue for certain players or muscle soreness or sleep was being affected and it was kind of we were noticing it so again it was you know kind of speaking with the players are you kind of taking care of yourself and so on and always knew of the Fit Our Woman app and, and Georgie Brunvels, who's done some really good research and did a PhD in the area. So again, was in touch with her over the last couple of years of, you know, some of her research and what she was doing. And then really at kind of December last year, we did some correlations between some of the sign symptoms and the, the phase of the cycle. And, you know, for four or five of our players, it was it was clear that they were experiencing, you know, some 
quite key symptoms leading into the start of their period. So again, conversation with Georgie, kind of how can we try and kind of monitor that? How can we lessen the impact of those? How can we make sure performance isn't affected? And they also developed a platform called Fit Our Coach, where you can basically... So Fit Our Woman is a free app. Fit Our Coach, you pay kind of a, a small fee for an annual use of that. But it can then basically, um, they can be linked together. So if a player is filling in Fit Our Woman, you can then link them into a Fit Our Coach app for your team. So then you could see which phase of the cycle they were in. So pretty much menstrual cycle is all about the interactions of, of estrogen, progesterone. There's kind of four key phases uh, where phase one starts with the menstrual cycle, the onset of the period. And then once kind of menses stops, you go into phase two. Uh, where you get an increase, then a, a decrease of estrogen going into ovulation. And then you go into phase three and then phase four, which is the period right before kind of the start of the menstrual cycle. So again, it was that phase four where we were noticing players were either a bit more fatigued. One player in particular was getting a lot of muscle soreness. Players, two or three players were having sleep affected. So again, Georgia developed this quite in-depth questionnaire survey that players could fill in and it would really identify how they felt their performance was affected, kind of which stage of their cycle they felt it was affected, and then what some of their signs and symptoms were. So we basically had all of our players kind of complete that in in kind of March this year. And then from that, Georgie with her team, she would bring up an individual kind of profile for each player. And then that would really help us dial down, okay, which phase does a player feel like their performance is affected? Where are their biggest symptoms? And then through diet, through recovery, through education on sleep, how can we try and minimize those symptoms so it's not then impacting their performance or it's lessening the impact of their performance? So we kind of dialed into that a bit. And, you know, a lot of it was also education with the players. Like for me, that is, the well, there's two things for me this area is one is breaking down the taboo of, of speaking about it. And secondly is the education for the athlete, for coaches working with the athlete, for any support team around the athlete, for parents. You know, imagine the 13-year-old player on a field somewhere, you know, in the US, in the world, who has some of these symptoms and is too embarrassed to talk about it. So we kind of really did a lot of education this year across the, the Women's Professional League here, the NWSL, and started breaking down that taboo um, like myself and, and Julian Haig, who works with me across the league, we went out to the nine women's pro teams here in the US and he delivered five of the workshops and I did four of them. And, you know, like for him being a male, he on the first one was, you know, was a little bit awkward talking about it. But then, you know, as you speak about it more, you start to break down that kind of awkwardness or embarrassment. Like even me, when I was delivering some of the sessions, could see players at the start of it kind of, like fall down in their seats and almost pull their jacket up because they were embarrassed. But <laughs> right, then, right. but then as you engage them, as you got into the the talk and was like, you know, it's okay. Like we're females, we're not mini males, we're not, you know, we're not kind of clones of males. We're we're females and we have different physiology and this is what happens. And yes, you can sit there and choose to ignore it, or you know, I'm always very much proactive. I always feel like if something can improve a performance or reduce something physically or, or or improve it physically you know I'll always kind of chase it and try it so you know again it was if you're having these symptoms like try this and this is going to help you and this is then going to help your performance. 
Yeah. What has been the reaction of the athletes after that initial scrunching down in the seat? I mean, have, have they been using your suggestions and have you seen improvement? Yeah, I mean, even in some of those, like, kind of the education workshops alone, like, as you progress through the talk, suddenly they would get more engaged or you would put up some typical symptoms at different phases and you would suddenly see players, like, the, the reaction in the face, like, oh, wow, like, I get that, or the nodding. And I don't know, like, some of the key kind of symptoms are kind of dysmenorrhea, painful periods. You can get bloating, you can get mood changes, you can get reduced recovery, you can get disturbed sleep. So, you know, again, for me, some of those things like disturbed sleep, like, okay, well, what is your sleep hygiene? So can you make sure your bedroom environment is promoting optimal sleep? So anything from, you know, it being dark, it being cool, maybe using lavender because lavender is something that promotes sleepiness. Can you use an eye mask? Can you use earplugs? You know, if you need to, there's, you know, there's proteins or there's kind of melatonin or, or something like that that you could use that would actually promote sleepiness a little bit so for me it's all about if you can reduce some of these symptoms then you actually lessen the impact of the menstrual cycle on performance right right you've mentioned the wellness app that your players are filling out is that similar to the fit our woman app and if somebody you know somebody listening wants to be tracking in the same way can they use the app well enough yeah, I mean, for me, like the Fit Our Woman app is is a great app. It's a free tool. It has a has a great education platform on there in terms of what the different phases mean. Some of the key areas it talks about is the physiology behind each phase, and then in terms of like training, nutrition, and then recovery, kind of what you should focus on at each phase. So again, some of the thinking is in the in the phase of three and four when the body is a little bit more fatigued and not recovering as well trying to maintain your training a little bit whereas in phases one and two actually push on your training and develop a little bit so you know the app is is very much educational as well and also it gives examples of like say nutrition you know in phase four focus on antioxidant foods and it actually gives recipes that promote some of those foods that would be useful kind of during that phase so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I say, it's it's free, it's available. So, you know, for anybody who maybe doesn't have the luxury of having support around them, it will be a great tool and visual to use and actually just learn initially some of the phases and some of the kind of symptoms and how you can then overcome some of those areas. Yeah, it's, I've started to use the app and it's really interesting. They have a lot of checkboxes for different symptoms that you're feeling everything from soreness and illness yep. and stuff. So it's really fascinating. I'm wondering how I'm going to do the analysis, but that that's the next phase. <laughs> Indeed. How are you meshing the discoveries that you're making about the menstrual cycles with, you know, the training plan that you had been using prior to all that? I mean, I would say right now we haven't really changed training kind of based on menstrual cycle. Again, kind of my thoughts and philosophy and, you know, I've spoke to, to Georgie quite a bit about this. For me, like a couple of the, the key phases where some of the symptoms are greatest are a kind of phase four is, is probably a big one because that's when chances are kind of bodies bloated a little bit more from, from water retention. There's a greater need for antioxidants. Recovery is, uh, is slightly reduced and then sleep can also be affected. So again, for me, if a player can try and address those areas and almost like negate the impact of those, 
they can then go into their training actually in a better recovered state than if they've not addressed them. So for me, like, I feel like you can reduce the symptoms, minimize the symptoms, really do that through, through diet, through nutrition, through recovery and sleep. And actually you don't then need to modify your training because, you know, for me, that's what it's all about is if you can negate those impacts of the symptoms, then your training should actually be okay. And, you know, I know you said it where you've kind of won races, won medals on the first day of your period and, you know, kind of gold medals have been won and lost on, on the first day of a menstrual cycle. It's You can overcome it. I think it's just you have to be proactive to do it. I think the only thing I would say is, you know, during phase one, which is the period and kind of onset of the menstrual cycle, potentially that is when the ligaments can be a little bit more lax, um, especially around the knee. So again, you know, there has been some thoughts around is there an increased risk of, of knee injuries, ACL injuries in females at that time. But again, for me, like, what is your injury prevention program? What is your strength program? Because those bits combined with lessening the symptoms in that phase one of your period, like, should then reduce the the chances of actually getting injured uh, during that phase one. Because again, if you're not addressing those symptoms in phase four, which are recovery, sleep, kind of antioxidants bloating then you're potentially going to phase one less recovered less less sleep because you've not addressed them so that combined with the looser ligaments the lax more lax ligaments yes for sure can lead to increased injury risk but if you're lessening those symptoms and you're stronger you've paid attention to your injury prevention then you know phase one you you should be able to tolerate those kind of training loads training levels Right. I, I can't remember where I saw this, but you said it's good to be on top of this stuff before it happens, which I think is probably the greatest benefit of this app is it's just sort of a reminder like, hey, you yeah. know, it, it's phase four, you know, pay attention. Yeah. 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 And also for me, like the more you track it and monitor it, the more you're going to get to know about it and the more educated you are. Because again, a menstrual cycle can vary anywhere from 21 to 35 days. So you know, if you're somebody who's 21 days compared to 35 days, then your duration in each phase is going to be different. Right. Similar, your actual, the actual period can vary from two to seven days in terms of kind of blood flow. So, you know, the amount of iron and blood you lose in, in the two or seven days is going to be different. You're going to have heavy bleeders, you're going to have light bleeders. For me, kind of piecing all of that together. So again, you know, phase one, like what's your iron intake and you know, how is that affected by how long you are actually in that phase one and, you know, kind of whether you are a heavy or a light bleeder. And the iron is important in the blood to carry the oxygen to the muscles. So again, if that's reduced because you're in phase one and you're a heavy bleeder, then that is going to affect your performance and you are going to be more tired. So again, that's for me, like the education piece. And the more you read about it or the more you track your own symptoms, then the more potential you've got for then actually like you just said there, like addressing it before it actually becomes an issue. Right. You've talked a lot about recovery and sleep. What are your strategies that you're recommending to the players to get enough recovery? And what, you know, like really specifically, what are you having them do? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, again, kind of between Steve, our head athletic trainer and myself, like we were of the mindset, kind of make everything available. Obviously, with a senior women's team, you know, they're adult women and I'm not going to make those players do every single strategy. So it's, okay, here's the strategies available. Like you use what you feel works for your body. For me, it's it's not rocket science what we have available. First and foremost, it's 
it's the nutrition, it's the hydration. You know, I think sometimes we forget they're part of the recovery process. So again, what is your nutrition? What is your hydration? So they would be the first pieces of that recovery. And then we just make everything available from, you know, we do a cool down at the end of training, we stretch, we have the big inflatable legs available, which just promotes blood flow around the body. We have ice tubs available, pool session, promote a, a light gym workout, you know, riding a bike. To me, it's all about increasing blood flow. So any method that you can use, implement that increases blood flow is going to be beneficial. So again, there's mixed research in terms of kind of recovery tights, compression tights, compression socks. The physiology behind it is that it it kind of compresses, so then promotes blood flow. So they're kind of the big ones. Um, we have kind of massage therapists available when we travel. So again, kind of making that available for players. So really just promote all of those different tools and methods. And then, like I say, it's it's kind of on the players to piece together exactly what they feel works for them. And then kind of from a sleep perspective, again, we did some sleep tracking with a with a kind of sleep watch in May time and players wore that for, for two weeks and that was in during a camp and we crossed time zones. So it really helped us look at individual players in terms of the duration and quality of the sleep that players had in those times if they were affected by time zones. And then for me, again, it goes back to the education piece of, you know, what is good sleep hygiene and what are you doing right before you go to bed? I'm sure... I mean, I'm so guilty of it myself, but are you reading your phone? Are you watching TV right before you go to bed? Which is emitting light and absolutely something you shouldn't do. But we all do it. So what is your sleep routine? Do you have a sleep routine? So again, if you have a sleep routine, research has shown that your sleep quality and duration is more effective than if you don't have a routine. So again, what are you doing right before you go to bed? Again, those things I said before, like how dark is the room? Again, if it's a light room, the light is basically telling your body to be awake (laughs) and not really promoting sleep. So again, a darkened room, a cooler room, bed sheets, bedding that is comfortable, lavender if you need it, kind of rub it on temples, head, wrists, or even feet. We had some players do that and felt it worked. Spray your pillow with lavender. You could have a lavender bath um, before you go to bed. So again, lavender is a big one. And then the other thing which kind of we use, which has helped some players with sleep is is cherry juice so again some of the makeup and the cherry juice can can help promote sleep as well oh i didn't know that yeah yeah so uh we've used that for a while so yeah so they're just yeah just kind of promoting good good habits like again it's it's absolutely similar to to the menstrual cycle it's all about education awareness and forming good habits and doing it every single day like i always say to our players they're they have to be kind of athletes 24-7. It's, you know, you miss a day, you miss an hour, and especially in your tournament, you know, kind of when we're in France and you've got seven games in 27 days, like you miss one of those windows and, you know, you set yourself back and it, it kind of, it shows in a tournament like that. Yeah, you did an impressive job keeping everybody healthy and active and ready to go during a, a month. A month is a long time to be on the road and ready. It was actually fifty days. <laughs> okay, two months. Uh, I'm, I'm known as the I'm known as the countdown queen, but yeah, yeah. we uh, we actually started our journey in New Jersey with our final send off game around about the 22nd of uh, uh, no, it was before then, around about the 22nd of May, and then from there went into England for a, a training camp for two weeks, and then into France. So yeah, I mean it's 
you know, again, it's a collective of working very closely with our technical coaches in terms of the planning and periodization of training kind of around the games of individual needs for players mapping out our actual World Cup games and what training we need to do in and around those. You know, even once you get to the World Cup, you're you're kind of differentiating between players who are now accumulating a lot of playing minutes in the games and then, you know, some players who are playing moderate amount and then you almost have some who are playing very little. But you also need to make sure those players who are not playing much are always ready for if they need to be playing. So their training is very much different to the to the players who are accumulating playing time. So kind of that plan and periodization is obviously a big part of that. And, you know, the other piece, again, is incredible work that the medical team did out in France. You know, we had four athletic trainers, uh, two team physicians and three massage therapists. And, you know, those guys worked around the clock. You know, we had the medical meeting at 10, 10.30 p.m. every night. And those guys would be treating and doing hands-on work until 10, 10.30 most nights. So, you know, kind of... Uh, credit to those guys because uh, they were the ones hands-on in camp, you know, keeping those players healthy every single day and just making sure they were ready for, for every train session, every game. Yeah, those guys are always undervalued or not spoken about enough. They do a ton of work. Yeah, sure. And it's always yeah. late at night, early yeah. in the morning. So, Yeah, for sure. What's next in your research, in your implementation of, you know, the things that you're learning, training, goals for the next four years or maybe you know for Tokyo yeah I think there's a few things I think with the menstrual cycle you know we did it just with the U.S. women's team in these few months we're hoping to do that across the whole NWSL which I think you know there's a few things for me it would be immense to get that kind of and level of feedback to 200 plus elite female players here in the U.S. So that's first and foremost. But the second piece for me is is raising the awareness and those players being pioneers in this area because there's nothing out there, you know, which I alluded to at the start in terms of the research. There's very little out there really in terms of kind of some of the, the key symptoms and effects and how to overcome those. So, you know, I think if we can monitor those players and then potentially publish some of that data and information, it means that you know, players who don't have this level of support can see that and read it and hopefully, you know, kind of make that have an impact on themselves as well. So that would be kind of one thing I'm I'm really passionate about trying to drive and then trying to also do that with our youth teams here. And then even, you know, kind of below that, the, the development academies and, and club system here in the US, I think would be, you know, phenomenal. Again, to have that exposure and just make it more of an aware topic. So I think that's kind of one big area that I'm passionate about and would like to to kind of try and drive and, and push through. Other than that, right now, it's trying to keep our national team players healthy. They they pretty much finished the World Cup and within one, two weeks were back with their NWSL clubs, which, you know, is, is very physically and mentally challenging, um, you know, given the intensity of the games at the World Cup. So, you know, some players have been tired and, and fatigued and we're trying to work with them and with their clubs to make sure they get through the season healthy. So that's kind of a main thing for those players. And then once the end of NWSL season's finished and the national team program's finished for this year, those players, again, it will be very individually customised. They'll have kind of a, a break because <laughs> they've not had that since the World Cup. They'll have a break and then How we literally build again for... I mean, again, it's going to vary. Right. Um, it's it's going to vary by player. Just depending on, you know, the, a lot goes into it in terms of how much they played the World Cup, how much they've then played in the league, 
what their health status is, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we've had a few players, Megan Rapinoe since the World Cup has just come back two months uh, after the World Cup to start playing with their club. So, you know, she's in a very different situation to, say, a Sam Mewis who played a lot of minutes at the World Cup and then has played pretty much every game for a club. So, you know, it's going to be very different based on where players are at and what they've accumulated by the end of the season. But we don't really get a long off-season because pretty much in January we have a training camp to get ready for Olympic qualification. Like, the team hasn't qualified for Tokyo yet, so that's not really on our radar. The Olympic qualification is in January or February, so that's kind of the first step to that process. So back to your question, long-winded answer, probably like two to three weeks for players. Like I say, it's, it's not very long because we don't really have a big window, and potentially those players are looking at kind of, you know, if we successfully negotiate qualification for Olympics, it would kind of be the latter part of 2020 when they get a, a longer break. So, yeah, so two to three weeks. And, you know, for some players, it, it might be two weeks and then it's just a week build them back into training. And then it's, you know, kind of straight back into getting ready for for the January camp and selection for Olympic qualifiers. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of a lot, you talk about load and sort of keeping track of load for each of the players. Can you describe what load means and what you're calculating? Sure. I mean, we use kind of a few tools. So our key tool is, is using GPS system, which measures the external physical load for players, which is kind of distance covered. You know, uh, we have certain thresholds. So we look at high speed running, we look at sprint distance, we look at number of sprints that a player completes every week. So again, we have the luxury where we work very closely with the end of SL and we have that data for the players in the league. And then we also have that data for, for the players when they come in with the national team. So that's kind of a key external load. Then we also collect heart rate data. Um, so again, players wear heart rate strap and then based on their own individual max heart rate and the zones we prescribe, we can monitor what their internal load is. And then the other thing through, again, the wellness app, the players will just fill in a, an RPE scale. So basically how hard was that session on a scale of one to 10? That just helps us to track, you know, again, internal measure of, of how hard a player feels a session was and that's something you know kind of an RP scale is free like anybody can use that and again that just sometimes just validates maybe the session that a player has done so really through a combination of those three data streams then we look at individual loads for players again we collect the the data in in games so almost have like a baseline of this is a a typical game load for this player. And again, that is individual to the player because it's very different based on position, based on formation, based on tactics. So we almost have like a profile for each player. And then, you know, we have a training load for them on a on a weekly basis, which is based off a little bit their game load. So yeah, that's kind of what we look at away from camp. And then that's what we kind of look at when we're in camp in terms of which metrics players hit and kind of what their loads are and depending on which day it is in relation to to game day. Right, right. How important is strength training and gaining more strength as part of the whole that you're working with? Uh, It's absolutely, for me, for, I mean, for any athlete and maybe especially female athletes, it's fundamental to everything that we do. I think it is so important for injury prevention, for having, you know, healthy, strong athletes. But then also for me, strength is a basis to develop in every other component of fitness. You know, like power is like speed at strength. And 
you know, to be fast, you need to be strong, you know, so for me, it is the basis to everything that you do. And, you know, for me as well, like the stronger you are, the quicker your recovery is going to be. Strength um, is, is a component of aerobic fitness. So for me, it is so important to have a good strength program. And, you know, that can vary from, you know, kind of pre-season overloading the players, aiming to lift heavy to then in-season more maintenance through body weight or cables, medicine balls, anything like that. But for me, it's such a, a key component of everything that we do. Do you have sort of go-to exercises that everybody does? Yes and no. I mean, again, kind of, I always just like to hit some of the, the key kind of areas. So we always do, and again, this isn't rocket science, some, some kind of squat, whether it's front squat or back squat or trap bar squat. Again, that depends on the individual player and, you know, any issues they might have with being able to do one of those different three. So kind of strengthening hips, glutes, hip thrust, whether that is with a weighted bar, whether it's a medicine ball, whether it's just kind of unweighted body weight, kind of glute bridge or using cables. But I think kind of hip thrust is another good one. Upper body as well, kind of important, just a vertical push exercise, you know, just a push press and then similar horizontal um, bench press or, or something similar. So, you know, again, I think some of those exercises we just have as base components, you know, a deadlift, kettlebell, dumbbell, or again, weight of bar. But, you know, for me, just hitting some of the major muscle groups and then around that, you can just build or add in anything else that you think, you know, is, is necessary for those individual players. Um, you know, some single leg work, you know, whether that's a variation on an RDL or a, or a split squat. But again, you know, probably hip thrust, uh, some kind of deadlift and then hitting your upper body as well and then just building everything else around that really. Cool. That's cool. Well, as the last question, I want to ask a bigger picture question because your team has had obvious incredible success on the field, but they've been going through so much else. You know, how, you know, it just feels so weighty. So I guess, you know, like how are they managing that stress and how are they going to continue to manage that, you know, through this trial that's coming up, the discrimination lawsuit and also the qualifications for Tokyo? I mean, obviously the the stuff off the field, like I don't get involved in that, you know, first and foremost, I, I just do my job. But, you know, what I've always, like I've been with this team now for nine and a half years and, you know, they've gone through a lot of different things on and off the field. But what I always know about this team is that they're incredibly driven, incredibly professional and extremely focused. So, you know, I have no doubt that when, you know, as they are now, they're all focused and they're back in with their NWSL teams that, you know, when the time comes for Olympic qualification, these players will be totally locked on and focused. And, you know, they they put those things that are going on kind of off the field out of focus and, and purely focus on the task in hand because, you know, at the end of the day, they're competitors, they're winners, they're mentally tough and driven and they want success and you know that's just how I've always found them so I'm not one bit concerned that they won't do that kind of when when we get to that Olympic qualification kind of process. It's very commendable that it doesn't add to their stress or doesn't seem to add to their stress. I like it. Um, yeah I'm sure but I, I think they just kind of find individual coping strategies but like I say this isn't the first time that there's been anything like this and the players have always just focused on the task in hand you know you know some of it was was happening prior to the world cup but right. you know the players put it to the side and you know they they had a decent summer you know <laughs> they, they had a successful summer so uh 
you know, so, I think, uh, yeah, that's what I've always found with them, that they're very focused because they are professionals in, in terms of what they do. Well, I'm very happy that they're on this fight. It, it's, it's nice to have them representing us. So thank them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Wonderful. And thank you so much. It's been, I don't know, it's been really wonderful having you here. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Well, thank you again for your time and for asking me to come on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm extremely grateful to Don Scott for making time to be on the show and to Aaron from U.S. Women's National Soccer Team for doing all the work to put the call together. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about all these incredible women. Subscribe to the Hear Her Sports newsletter for thoughts about the episodes, related stuff I'm reading, updates, and news about what's coming up. Our logo is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.